Welcome to We Are Meaningful, a podcast where we transform the anonymous experiences of black and brown talent into powerful audio narratives. Each month, we center the dialogue around a common theme, providing you, our listeners, with the tools and resources you need to help navigate, grow, and thrive in corporate spaces. Our stories, experiences, and our voices are meaningful. We are meaningful. Just like anyone else, I was building an interdepartmental network who could vouch for me. A necessity if you want acknowledgement from organizational leadership. So imagine my surprise when a tenured employee complained that I was not supporting her appropriately and put this in an email to my manager. I asked for clarification with every intention of understanding my shortcoming and really just looking for a resolution with my accuser. My supervisor told me not to worry about it. Why? Well, because my written request for feedback had caused this woman so much distress that she began to, wait for it, cry and whine that no one wants to help her. So to avoid dealing with it, my supervisor pulled me off the project. There was no closure for her or me, but the work still had to be done. Later that week, the culprit took to vacation without completing the task. And who was asked to step up? Yep, me. Just as I was speaking with my supervisor about the situation, in an attempt to display my commitment to teamwork, a client lead walked past our cubicles and asked, What are you over here bitching about now? All you do is bitch, bitch, bitch about things. I stopped mid-conversation with my white male supervisor and asked, Did she just call us bitches? His look of surprise and my disdainful expression validated, one, that it had actually happened, and two, it wasn't okay. He said he would handle it, and he had seen it happen, so I was relieved, and I trusted him. I let it slide for a few weeks, waiting on due process to run its course. When I asked if it had been resolved, I was given no follow-up information. Got it. We were sweeping this under the rug. Two incidents of not feeling safe in the workplace. Two times I'd done my part and followed proper protocol. Twice I had been let down. By the policy, sure. But by the people who were supposed to protect my psychological safety, too. Little did I know that my perceived reputation had followed me from this unsubstantiated gossip, and it had weight. I was taken off projects to avoid anyone being held accountable for my behavior. It was normalized for these people to speak negatively and disrespect employees with no repercussions. These mouths hold the cards for projects and career ladder movement. I am now stalled in my progression because of it. Not for lack of trying, either. I went into the interview process for a leadership role, unsuspectingly, and one of my panel members brought up the year-old stories to serve as proof for their final judgment of, I would not be a good fit for the team. My biggest regret is holding my tongue in those moments 
and playing for the system that I trusted. This system wasn't built with my safety or innocence in mind. I was so concerned with not seeming like an angry black woman that I didn't show up as I should. And they ended up elevating that stereotype anyways. Now, I'm not responsible for the perceptions that others have of me, and neither is leadership really. But when it ends in rumors that people use to discriminate against me and my work, someone missed the ball. And it wasn't me. Hi, everyone. This is Crystal. And this is Krista. Today, we're joined by our friend, Kashana Palmer. Kashana is a unimom, unicorn mom, a trainer, (laughs) educator, author, and professional speaker. She's the founder of Kashana & Co., author of Hey, I'm New Here, and founder of The Rooted Collaborative, a learning community for women of color fundraising professionals. When she is not starring in the life of my queenager, she's dropping knowledge about leadership in life. Kashana is the epitome of your classic 90s queens homegirl. She really is. Mm -hmm. And quintessential corner office executive. She is your daily dose of Claire Huxtable with a side of Blanche Devereaux. I love that, Kashana. Welcome to the show. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Yeah, I love that too. Wait, I have to get it straight. Blanche from like Golden Girls? The Golden Girls, yes. And I have some new t-shirts that are on the way. I ordered them off the internets. They are coming. Off the interwebs? All of the interwebs. Um, I love the Golden Girls. I love. There's so many shows I love, but growing up, I wasn't allowed to watch a lot of TV, and particularly mm-hmm. during the week, I grew up Seventh Day Adventist, and so uh, the Sabbath starts sundown on Friday um, to sundown on Saturday, and so my mom would let us record though, so we could like watch it on sundown on Saturday night into Sunday, and so I would binge watch so many shows on Sundays. And the Golden Girls was among the like myriad of shows that I watched, but I like obsessed with that show since I was a kid. You've probably seen like all the episodes like ten times. More than ten. That the nanny, <laughs> you know, different world. Yeah. Know, all the good stuff. <laughs> I love that. Well, we're so excited to have you on the show and discuss our theme for this month, which is psychological safety. You had the opportunity to hear the narrative falsely accused. What were your thoughts and reactions to the narrative, Kashana? And is the story familiar to you? I mean, y'all, I had to get up and get a glass of water and go for a walk. And I think I circled my living room probably like four or five times before I felt like my heart rate was returning to normal. And my initial, so that was my initial reaction. Like it gave me just like such a like heart palpitating, like being in a suspense movie, except I'm actually in the movie, but I know what's going to happen and I'm still afraid and I know I should do something, but I'm not quite sure what to do. It was like watching a train wreck, except I'm listening to it. And it took me a moment to like really come back to center. Like, oh my gosh, Kashana, that is is happening every day. Like there is not a boardroom, there is not a cubicle, although right now it's probably digitally on Zoom, WebEx, you know, Microsoft Teams, pick one, name one. But there are women having these experiences 
so vividly and so traumatically all the time and then being forced to question their judgment and intelligence and reasoning and discernment and sense of self, you know, both from a sense of self-esteem and self-awareness and then self-worth. And it just, all of that hit me all at the same time. And I thought to myself, how do they manage to get a narrative that has this many layers? This is like a seven layer cake, but you like quadrupled the recipe. I just couldn't believe it. Um, And so it just brought to mind so many different instances that I've had over the course of my career and friends have shared with me and women I've met that have shared with me. And I had this moment where I was like, enough is enough, man. Like this is, this is wild. And I think wild encompasses a lot of things these days. I'm like, this, this, I was like, this is wild. This can't be life, but this is life. So that was my initial sort of like visceral response. And then my sort of like coming down from it and thinking about like just how to process that in the moment. Wild. Mm-hmm. That's the word. So, so wild. And what's so interesting is that you mentioned it's not a cubicle, not a boardroom, um, not a virtual meeting where this isn't happening. And just to make it very clear for those who are listening globally, globally. everywhere. <laughs> so this is not just in the United States that things like this are happening. Things like this happen everywhere. There are women who reach out to us from all around the globe sharing how these stories resonate with them. And like, how did you know that this happened to me? So it's incredible. And it's like a weird scar, right? Like that I feel like, you know, like for people, my parents, my parents' generation, they would all like sort of pull up their left... um, shirt sleeve, depending on where they grew up in the world, particularly if you grew up in a uh, Caribbean or if you grew up in an African country, depending on where you grew up. And they all have the like uh, vaccine scar yeah. on their left shoulder, right? And it felt like that. Mm-hmm. Like when I hear this, when I listen to the narrative and I hear women sort of say, oh my gosh, me that, that happened to me. It's sort of like we pull up our sleeve on that left side and like reveal that vaccination scar except it's not to inculcate us from something it is a reminder of something you know like it's sensitive to the touch and that's kind of what it brought up for me Krista I think you were going to say something no I was going to say to your point and I'm glad that you brought that up uh, because most everyone in my family has that scar Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. so I I think it's ironic because to your point it's it's not protecting us from anything and it's almost something that we actively avoid. Like I think in hearing the this narrative and hearing so many stories, right, it still always surprises me how shook I am and how deep some of the wounds that I have about the experiences where I've either been falsely accused or I've just been in a space that's not safe for me, how they still linger and how they impact the way that I connect with others and the way that I enter my spaces even today. So with that, Kishana, how is it that you define psychological safety? Like what is the standard for you? Where does it start? So when I thought about this, like listening to some of the other uh, episodes, just so critical for me to get my mind around, like, what is psychological safety for me? And y'all, it took me a minute to even get to, like, I think a working definition, because 
what felt clearest to me was that I would go into new work situations. And even when I launched my own company into new client situations with like a baby blanket of PTSD dragging behind me, Mm -hmm. you know, I had my my blankie and I, I was ready to wrap it. You know, at any given moment, like there was always something that just sort of viscerally triggered me. And so actually the experience that I kept having, either in anticipation or in actuality, was not of safety, but of danger. So to come to this idea of safety, it it felt like a reach for me. And so here's where I'm at. So my working definition of um, psychological safety is being in a space being in community, being able to commune with other folks where I feel like I can show up as the work version of myself, (laughs) Uh, my public facing version with a little uh, at home living room spice and not feel like it will be used against me in a court of whodunit. That I'm able to use all of the, the big four and five letter words that I have at my disposal from being a book nerd my whole life and to be able to drop in whatever vernacular I choose, whether it's of my Caribbean heritage or my Black American heritage at my leisure and not feel like my intelligence, my core competencies, uh, my ability to do my work, my wheelhouse, my expertise is going to be challenged because I'm in fact versatile, but depending on how you experience me in that moment, depending on the message I want to deliver, it may not come across to you. So the safety aspect for me means, am I able to actually unfold? Am I? If you think of a, a flower, um, I'm on my desk in my office, if you guys were ever to come over, you see I have all these eternal roses. You know, the ones that said you can keep roses for a year. It really is true. Mm. <laughs> they, they just bloom them to a certain point and then it just stays. And so I, I think about the safety aspect from the perspective of blooming. What if I'm actually able to bloom? What if my petals actually can open up and I'm not frozen for a year and looking just as fresh as I did the day I got there? Um, being able to exercise psychological safety to me is an, is an action phrase and less of a definition. I'm able to actually act hmm. into something, to actually uh, move in a certain way. And that allows me space where I can have experiences, I can learn, I can be curious, I can flex without feeling like I'm going to get slapped on the hand or pushed mm-hmm. off the door, out the door or shoved off a cliff to pick your poison. So that's kind of where I'm at. I'm feeling like it's an it's an action phrase and less of um, a word choice for me. So that's my sort of like working definition of psychological safety. I love it. It's less of something that defines a state of being And it's more of like an active uh, just verb in the way that that you and everyone in the space have permission to evolve and to bloom and things like that. I really, really like that. Absolutely. This was one of those weighty ones where, you know, folks listening, like if you think about how to define the thing that you are living and experiencing and breathing in, and it's sort of like an electric fence a little bit, and also like a don't go outside, but your face is pressed up against the glass. And when y'all were little and you wanted to really go to like great adventure, world adventure to go to the amusement park, and you like waiting for the, the bus to come and you're going to go outside so you can get on and go. It's kind of like that. At least that happened to me in New York. I don't know. Maybe it didn't happen to you where y'all grew up. <laughs> There's definitely, definitely different nuances to it right yeah. so for me it was probably like the pool yes 
houses. It was like so ridiculously hot here and there's pools everywhere. But for some reason, I still needed permission to go to the pool. I loved your definition around psychological safety because like I, I mentioned, it wasn't about a state of being. It was more about an action. And it also lends itself more to the definition that I have, which is so um, like ambiguous. So I've really loved this series so much because I've gotten to hear everybody's definition of psychological safety and I've just kind of gotten to expand my knowledge around what it means, what it could mean. Because before, all I really could say is I don't know how to define it, mm. but I know it when I feel it and I know it even more when I don't feel it. Mm-hmm. And mm. and I think think about like all the like, even in the narrative itself, like there was like a whole done it, uh, gotcha in some of the retelling of the experience that she was having. And so the psychology part, like the psycho, the mind part where your mind's playing tricks on you, you know, you having one of those moments and being safe can look like the ability to be able to think, move and act freely without your mind playing tricks on you Mm -hmm. because you're second guessing every moment, every, every experience, every encounter, every decision um, all the time. Anyway, I could probably belabor that all day. We know from this narrative, so from this story, we heard from one single person, as well as all the other stories that we've heard from so many black and brown women, that many spaces do lack psychological safety. So what would you say to black and brown women who are trying to navigate and thrive in spaces that are lacking safety? I think it's so critically important to understand and and with great specificity what safe looks like and feels like for you. And to go one step further and go, what would I need to see, to hear, and to believe to come into an understanding that I'm safe? Because one of the things that I know I've experienced is that we are just busy. We're busy trying to get stuff done. We're busy making moves. We're busy making it happen. We find a way or make one. And when you're when you're operating at that level, when you are literally going at sprint speed in a marathon all the time, it becomes really difficult to slow down enough to think about what would really need to be true for you to feel safe. And so the first thing that I would offer is to have that moment or two or three. And sometimes you have to come back and revisit it a few times, y'all, because, you know, every season of your life, something is different about what you're going to need generally. So when you're, when you're, when your needs at home change, be clear that your needs at work are going to change. And so when, and vice versa. And so when you're thinking about what safe means coming into your workspace where we spend time, more time oftentimes with our colleagues than we do with our families, what would need to be true for you to feel safe in that space? And can you get it where you are? Can you create it where you are? Or do you have to import it? And by import, that could mean affinity groups within your organization or your company. That could mean local meetups and meet and greets with other professionals who do similar work to you so that you have, you know, um, compadres that are able to walk this walk with you. Um, Does it mean extending your digital connection? Does it mean uh, using the EAP services that your company should be offering, your institution should offer so that you can go and talk to somebody? 
I mean, that should be like on the maintenance portion of every black and brown woman's uh, program. That's hair, nails, therapist. Let's go. And so how are you building out your own safety net? If we think about this, this social services safety net that is so fragmented in this country and if you, but if you think about the safety net aspect of it, how are we individually thinking about what our own social, psychological safety net, uh, what does it look like? What does it need to be? That would be my sort of like my second big chunk. So getting us into that thinking space and then getting us into that creation space so that we are in control of some of the levers we need to uh, feel safe. And then the third thing I would say is to really get a handle on building social capital. And what I mean by that specifically is oftentimes I have found, and particularly I, you know, I grew up pretty much, I had a brief stint in investment banking, and then I uh, moved into the social sector. So I've spent my whole career um, as a fundraiser and at the chief executive level um, of the organizations I've been in. So I've been able to sit on these executive leadership teams for most of my career to sort of understand um, sort of how strategy is happening and, and, uh, and operationalize that. Um, but what I didn't understand very early on was that uh, there was a, um, a, you ever been to an amusement park, y'all, where you have to guess how many M&Ms are in the jar? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and so I didn't realize that there was a jar, y'all, with the M&Ms in it, and you had to guess how many was in it around. If you took some out, then how much would you have left in terms of your currency with people, Mm -hmm. people's ability to give you grace, people's ability to open doors for you, people's ability to grant you favors, your ability to do so. I like you, therefore I will. I didn't have any idea, or did, nor did I put once I understood what it was, any real value on what building social capital across the different groups I needed to navigate was meant and what that would mean for me in my career. And so the third piece to me of really able to being able to build out that 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 psychologically safe safety net is being able to understand how social capital works and to be able to be really, really laser focused and thoughtful um, and strategic about how you build it. You are taking us to church. You really are. (laughs) You Um, really, really are. (laughs) So there are two things that you said that really stood out to me. The idea of importing which I think is super important because we often think about psychological safety or even just our ability to to thrive and grow in terms of what can I do at my job? Mm -hmm. But we Mm -hmm. don't often think about how can I bring some of that from outside in or how can I go outside and fill my cup and get the things that I need? And then the second thing about social capital, I just had this conversation with someone yesterday about social capital. They wanted to speak up about something and they were like, well, if I speak up, I'm new to this industry, like what's going to happen if I do, but I feel like it needs to be said. And my advice to, to this person who's a member of our community is is there someone else who has the social capital to say the thing that needs to be said? That's right. Because if you don't have the social capital to say the thing that needs to be said, then that could be detrimental to you. So how can you find an advocate or an ally who can speak on your behalf to ensure that the thing you want to say is heard 
and it's not harming you in a negative way. Absolutely. Yeah, that's Absolutely. that's your survival. And I, I loved, uh, Kishana, how you made that reference to a like, jar of M&Ms because I think getting back to what this whole podcast is about, right? And how the experience of corporate life is very different for women of color, but often the situations that are presented to us from the oppressor, it seems like a game. And for us, it's a lot about survival. So like these candy games, these guessing games, whatever we're doing, for them, it's almost like a hobby. Like they come to work and these things happen and they're okay with positioning, however, because they get to go home to most often a nice, cushy, marginalized life, right? Or sorry, majoritized life, excuse me. Majoritized. Majoritized. Yes. <laughs> Victoria uh, Walters. Victoria Walters, thank you. <laughs> majoritized life versus us, how we answer these questions, how we gain this social social capital, how we leverage the intentional movement of every day really is about survival. And I think that's why psychological safety is so important. And what you mentioned about us actually taking the time to reflect and filling out how, figuring out truly how we're gonna be filling our cup. Because otherwise it's just always gonna feel like a day in the jungle or a day at the playground. Correct. And I'll give you all a, uh, an example that I was walking through one of the members of my collaborative recently. And she said on a, a happy hour, we did virtual happy hour. And she said, you know, which, I'm just trying to be who I am and people are just going to have to accept me. And I was like, bleh, bleh. hold on. <laughs> Back up. Fundraising, back up. Back up. We, so it's a fundraising group, y'all. So one of the big no-nos in fundraising for is whenever you start with my organization or my institution should get fill-in-the-blank funding, why should you get anything? That in, that should built in. You have to back that up and be really clear about your messaging and be leading with the why it's critical, why urgent, why now, why us. So when she said, well, you just, people just need to accept me for who I am. We were like, what up? hold on, let's have a conversation. Why should I accept you just the way you are every day? Maybe the way you are every day ain't that great. Mm. Just to be clear. Oh, so, I mean, I just, can we just talk frankly? Yeah. Like, maybe, you know, and if you don't have friends who don't have a, a, at least one eyebrow raising conversation with you, where you walk away going, you're not going to talk to me like that. You, if you were really my friend and you need to go and sit with yourself, then you don't have the right net around you to be able to grow. Anyway, so I'm giving you all this, this example because um, it is, I think a lot of times I have come into conversation with women who are very frustrated and um, disillusioned by the fact that they can't always show up as they are who they are. Mm -hmm. But they, we are not, um, we are not a single vision folks, right? Mm -hmm. We, we definitely are a kaleidoscope in terms of the way we show up. You have to keep adjusting your vision. Yep. And so the way you show up in this particular group, team, et cetera, environment is just one facet of who you are. And so we've got to get sophisticated about being able to shift in that kaleidoscope. And that means the, 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 the place where we need to show up is that is our center. And it doesn't mean anything is wrong with us. I just have come to a, a place and space in my life. And um, I just turned 40 last May, y'all. And so I'm going to be 41 this May. And my mom had said to me, you know, when you turn 40, you know, things are going to be different. People who turn 40 say this all the time. like, And I was like, what, what is really going to be different from the stroke of the clock on the 27th and to the 28th? She has told us her something. birthday, y'all. 
So, did I tell you what month? I did. Oh my gosh, I did. Look me up on the internet. Send gifts. Gifts on my love language. Send them. Send them. Fun diva. Um, so, but the joke is about that, that a couple of uh, months after I turned 40, things started shifting. Like, first of all, my body, I was like, what is happening here? <laughs> and then also, in my mind, like my literal like approach to things, I started to question things. I started to really dig into that sort of self-awareness. It doesn't happen to everybody, and it doesn't happen always at 40. It can happen earlier or later. My point is that coming into a... Um, Coming into a cycle of self-awareness and of introspection, particularly when you're going into a new work environment or when you've been persisting in your current work environment, but you're not happy, is a good moment to reassess that safety valve to make sure that that everything is working, that the, that the checks and the balances are happening there, and then to be able to um, put a little tape and brandade if you need to until you can move on to a new thing or be better prepared to go into a new thing, whichever mm-hmm. way you are in your career. So just kind of thinking about that. But for me, you'll hear me talk a lot about that, starting with your, um, your core, like that center self, before you can start to have your net go out and grab onto other things and people and, and um, resources that you're going to need to be able to shore your your safety net up. I love that. And I think the most important thing about everything that you've said is just starting with you and everything has to be custom for you. Because I think a lot of times when we think about any solutions for something, people throw out these things and it's like, this is exactly what you need to do. These are the steps you need this. But I love that you're saying, no, I don't have a list for you. You you have to create the list because you have to start with you. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And when and when um, coaching client when I have coaching clients and you know folks will interview to talk to to have a um, business coach and a career coach and they'll say okay well what's your methodology and and y'all I I could have all of those things and I do have a good framework but ultimately my methodology is to listen carefully and to probe deeply. And to ask why several times, so much, so many times that you're like uncomfortable, (laughs) you know, Um, you're like, do I feel safe? Like what's happening here? Yes, you're in a safe space. Um, Because I think that in that probing is where we start to find and uh, the questions that we really want to be able to answer that maybe we haven't been able to confront um, or to address. And one of the things that a friend said to me recently that was so uh, wild, but it it really kind of brings this home for me is Kashana. I don't think you're healed from this situation. It was my divorce. Another podcast for another day. Um, She said, I think you've survived this situation. And I was like, oh, I'm going to go home now. Just really have a moment with myself. That was your real friend? It was my real friend. She was my real friend. Yeah, she is your real friend. to me. She really hurt my feelings. I had to cancel like my afternoon meetings because I could not think. I had to go and walk. Um, But when you think about the safety aspect coming back to the workplace... Are you healed from a particular situation before you move on to the new thing so that you can start fresh truly? Or have you survived it? And so we jump out of the frying pan into the fire Mm -hmm. because we haven't had enough time. We don't have the luxury to be able to have that healing time before we move into the next thing. Mm. Say it again. I guess I'm going to have to take off the afternoon too. (laughs) <laughs> I'm gonna have you to do my calendar time. I'm so tired of telling her this. <laughs> Thank you, Kishana. <laughs> Thank you for bringing this up today. Um, no, 
I, I I think you're so right because Crystal and I talk about this all the time. It's like, what's the difference between you moving past what's happened and then you actually like forgiving and leveraging the lessons and all of these different things. So I think it's really powerful. I think all of the messages that you gave us today were really powerful. And I know that our listeners are gonna wanna hear so much more from you. So where can we find you online? Absolutely. So I hang out the most on LinkedIn, uh, followed by Instagram. And so, but I'm at Fund Diva, F U N D D I V A, like fundraising diva, across all social media platforms. And on LinkedIn, I'm at Kishana, K A S H S H A N A Palmer. So that's how you can find me on social. If you want to check me out on my website, it's kashanaco.com. And, you know, I'm one of those folks that actually reply to all the folks who actually write me and DM me. And so I'm happy to be in community and have conversations. And so that's how you can find me. I'm at home now because normally I say, oh, you can find me at the next conference. I'll be keynoting. (laughs) I'll be keynoting from my home office, which is very delightful, but not the same. (laughs) For sure. Kashana, you are the epitome of, as you said in your um, your bio, the homegirl and the executive. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you are exactly who you are right now all the time. Even through your social media posts, I can hear your voice saying whatever <laughs> it is <laughs> that you've written. So I really feel blessed to have this level of access to you. Um, and to be able to say you're someone that I'm connected with and that I'm inspired yeah. by and that I want to be one day. No, I want to be you. Get out of here. I was like, who, no. who are these women? They are so fly. Let me just slide into the LinkedIn DM. Hey, Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the We Are Meaningful podcast. Follow us on Instagram at wearemeaningful.co and visit our website to learn more about our community and how you can get involved. We're excited to hear your thoughts on today's episode. Talk to you next week.